atypical vort is created by Rabbi Ari Karetsky, host of Jews You Should Know, a great podcast available on all platforms. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This past Sunday, I was feeling pretty smug. My parents have recently been decluttering my childhood home. They gave me a box of my old toys, unused in the past 30 years or so, and told me that I could sell them and keep the profits. My wife snapped some photos, posted them to Facebook Marketplace, and within a few hours, a 44-year-old man had driven 40 minutes to our house and paid $150 for a cache of 80s-era G.I. Joes. I'll not deny that I was a bit judgmental. Why would a grown man spend good money on some old action figures? But I soon reconsidered my self-righteous reaction. Because, minutes later, I was online shopping feverishly on Amazon in pursuit of my first barbecue smoker, ironically costing almost the exact same amount as I had just received for the toys. I spent a not insignificant period of time searching for the best wood chips and other accoutrements. In other words, I had simply exchanged the toys of my youth for the slightly more sophisticated toys of my 40s. Meanwhile, in this week's Parsha, the brotherly drama continues to unfold. After 20 years in the house of Lavan, Yaakov, now 83 years old, is heading back to the Holy Land with a large brood in tow. He prepares to confront his brother Esau, attempting first to appease him with gifts. He crosses his family over the Jabok River, but the Talmud tells us, curiously, that he actually returns back across the river alone to retrieve pachim katanim, small jars. Given that Yaakov has risked his life by returning, he is attacked by the angel of Esav while there. Rev Elazar comments that we learn from here, to the righteous, their property is more valuable to them than their physical welfare. Of course, many questions emerge from this enigmatic passage of Talmud, and interpreters throughout the ages have offered unique takes on how to comprehend Yaakov's emphasis on these small jars. The Chafetz Chaim flips the familiar adage, time is money, on its head, explaining that, to the righteous, money is time, meaning that possessions actually reflect the amount of time invested in earning the funds to purchase them. To a spiritually oriented person, time is life's most precious commodity. Arizal similarly explains that the righteous view every physical possession as a gift from above. If we have something, it is because God wants us to, and that confers a level of responsibility to channel it appropriately. Environmentalists might read into Yaakov's choice an endorsement of minimalism. After all, he is retrieving his small jars, rather than acquiring new ones. And more mystical explications draw a connection between these pachim and the pach shemen, jug of oil, discovered by the Maccabees and so integral to the story of Hanukkah, which often aligns with the reading of this parsha. I would like to advance a more psychologically oriented perspective. As we know, physical possessions may have a measurable or market value but they also can carry unique meaning to a specific person or group of people. Archaeologists and anthropologists learn a great deal about the societies they study through what they term material culture. Viewed through this lens, objects are symbolic, their imports subjective and ascribed. They play a role in both forming and retaining our identity. What might these jars have meant to Yaakov? We are told of the significant travails that he suffered under the hands of his father-in-law and uncle, Lavan, in Haran. He worked for years, endlessly deceived. First cheated out of the wife that he desired, and later cheated out of the full wages he rightfully deserved. And yet, 
we know from Rashi that Yaakov proudly asserts, I lived with Lavon, yet I observed all of the 613 commandments, a play on words between Garti, I lived, and Taryag, 613. As the Lubavitcher Rebbe observes, Yaakov employs the word Garti, which implies a temporary sojourn rather than other synonyms for dwelling, to emphasize that he always remained a ger, a stranger, while in Haran, never assimilating its corrupted values. Perhaps then, Yaakov's possessions represent, to him, his ethical triumphs, his steadfastness to the God of his fathers. These are no mere jugs, but rather symbols of hard-won greatness. When the brothers finally meet, Esau asserts that, I have much, while Yaakov responds that, I have all. When, like Esau, we pursue consumption for its own ends, we are never sated. The objects of our desire fail to address our deeper yearnings. But when the artifacts we own anchor us to our values, when they represent the places we've traveled, the people we love, or the aspirations we harbor, then, invariably, we feel full. In this frame, perhaps I can look more charitably at a man seeking to reclaim the idealism and purity of his youth, collecting the toys of that era. In contrast, more self-critically, I can ask why I feel compelled to originate new appetites as I age. Interestingly, it is precisely when Yaakov goes to retrieve his possessions that he confronts the angel of Esau, defeats him, and receives the new name Yisrael, by which we as a nation are known until this day. Apparently, this sentimental attachment to physical objects, the appreciation of their deeper representative quality, is inherent to our calling as B'nai Yisrael, children of Israel. In our much maligned consumerist society, our Torah offers a refreshing approach to material goods, rejecting their senseless pursuit, but embracing their potential as spiritual triggers in a physical world. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 